Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. Talk about some spending. I can't believe we've gotten this far in the show and haven't talked about spending at least in depth or in detail. I'm Ryan Wiggins. This is Wiggins America. Good morning to you. A little bit after 7 o'clock. So here's the deal. We've got all these spending bills jostling around. Nobody knows where they're going to land. Nobody knows what's in them. And that's been one of the most frustrating things for me is that as I research these things, the infrastructure bill is one thing. Because that's $1.2 trillion, and it's, I don't know, about as clear-cut as a bill gets these days. It's laid out in, in decent detail what's in it. Roughly, I would say 60 to 70% is actual infrastructure. And that's fine. That's the kind of stuff that even as conservatives we say, yeah, that's the stuff the government's supposed to do. Then you got another 20% that's stuff that you go... Eh, not exactly infrastructure in the strictest sense of the term, but at least it's close to infrastructure like broadband. Expanding internet for people is not exactly infrastructure. That's something that should be privatized and private industry is taken care of. And if there's enough of demand for it, private industry will make it happen. You don't need the government to do that. But People make an argument that, well, but if you're rural enough, you know, that private industry is not going to find you there. That's fishy to me. I don't like that stuff, but it's sort of that you could put that in soft infrastructure. Then you have a category of things that should not be in there at all, like pushing Green New Deal energy policies and stuff that's not really infrastructure. Republicans were able to eliminate a lot of that, but not all of it. So it's there. And that argument is for a different day. My point is, the $3.5 trillion that keeps getting tossed around, there is no detail on this. It, the bill exists out there somewhere, but it's 2,500 pages long, and it, so it's deliberately confusing, and there's all, it's, it's, I don't want to say there's a lot of pork in it, it's just pork. That's all it is. It's under the guise of some sort of COVID relief still, I think. Although they're, they're not even making that case anymore. Like, at some point, they've just decided, no, we're just wanting to spend money. The public isn't buying the COVID thing anymore. We've spent enough COVID money. So you have this bill kicking around that nobody really knows what's in it. Um, you know, a detail will make its way to the surface every now and then. But it keeps changing because nobody knows where it's going to land. Mansion, Cinema, they're saying they're not going to do $3.5 trillion. Mansion seems to be showing some cracks in the facade that 
he may do something a little more like two trillion, which is exactly what I predicted a week or so ago, maybe even longer than that. I said, look, it ain't going to be three point five trillion. That's where the negotiation starts. Then Joe Manchin's going to get in the way, and they're going to settle on two trillion. Everybody's going to go, what a bargain! What a fiscal conservative he is, and no Republicans will back it. And that's exactly what's happened. We don't know what will happen because you got all of these different things mixed together with infrastructure with that 3.5, which won't end up being 3.5, and nobody knows what's in that because it's not even a thing yet. And then you got the debt ceiling, and then you have government funding. Government funding has been extended through December, I think the end of December, maybe early January. Republicans did that so that they couldn't be called obstructionists, and I think that was a good move. So here's what I'm bringing to you today and saying, I want your opinion on this. You can find me on the socials. I need to get on some different socials. I'm not really a social maniac anyway, but I am on Facebook. If you want to find me, Ryan Wiggins on Facebook, or if you want to find me on Twitter, I am much more active on Twitter, especially politically dis- politically uh, inclined discussion there, at Radio Wiggins. If you want to weigh in on this, I'd love to know what you think. But I think that Mitch McConnell actually made a pretty good move this week. I think the guy makes actually quite a few good moves. They're just overshadowed by when you're you're not sure what he's doing that he makes mistakes. But Mitch McConnell, 80%, 90% of the time, he makes really good moves. He's always playing chess. So here's what he did this week. The debt limit is going to be reached. Government funding's taken care of through the end of the year. That's a separate thing. They were able to do some magic tricks, and they funded that through the end of the year. The debt limit is a huge, huge bargaining chip for Republicans. No matter who's in office, no matter who controls Congress, That's always there. And it's good because Republicans tend to try to spend less money than Democrats. And I say that in big air quotes (laughs) because it doesn't always play out that way. But generally speaking, that's kind of the rule, right? So they have this bargaining chip that they were not going to use. They were were not, well, they were going to use it by not extending the debt limit. Then Democrats came back and said, and here's where it gets, we get to get into the chess of it. Democrats came back and said, all right, if you're not going, if you're going to stand in the way of us doing this, because they couldn't do it through reconciliation, they needed the full Senate or at least 60 votes. So they needed Republicans. We're going to get rid of the filibuster on this issue. So in the future, not only for this one, but in the future, you will have no way of stopping us if we have even the barest of majorities, which they have now. Takes away a huge bargaining chip from Republicans. So obviously, as much as they're concerned about $3.5 trillion in spending or $2 trillion in spending, whatever that ends up being, they're all also just as concerned about going down the road and not being able to filibuster extending the debt limit. That was the Democrats' play. That was a smart play. McConnell came back and said, okay, fine, if you're going to say this, because Joe Biden came out, the, the talking point this week has been Republicans are standing in the way. Republicans come back and say, we're not. Democrats have majorities in both houses, and they have the White House. We can't stand in the way, except on something like this. So they said, okay, McConnell, playing chess here. Here's what we'll do. We will extend the debt limit through December. Now, it's October 9th, so we're talking about a little over a month and a half extending the debt limit. I don't, I don't mind that. The reason that he did that is to take away their narrative. So that they can't say Republicans are standing in the way. Now, Republicans are not standing in the way, at least through 
the end of the end of the year, like a month and a half from now. I think that was a good move because now Democrats, if they were to remove the filibuster on this issue, they would be doing that alone and for no reason because Republicans have said, we'll give you, we'll give you a month. We'll give you, you know, you're going to sign your bill and you need us to help you sign your bill. And we're not going to help you sign it, but we will at least take away the notion that we were standing in the way. So you can't go out there and say that to your compliant TV cameras over and over and over. I think that was a good move. It's not... I think I misspoke when I said that's going to allow them to sign that bill. That's that's not the case. They they can sign the bill regardless. It's just that they're ty- trying to tie all these things together, and Republicans are trying to remove them apart, and they're actually doing a pretty good job of it because we still don't know. It's October 7th. Nancy Pelosi's limit for this thing was the end of September. She said, we got to have it done by the end of September. Well, that didn't happen, and I mean for any of it. So Republicans joined the Democrats on the spending bill for infrastructure and it kicked it back to the house and the house won't even sign it. They can't get their caucus together. So none of this has been spent yet. That's great because we've already spent what $8 trillion, like a third of all the money we've ever had in debt has been spent in the last year. It's, it's crazy. It is crazy. And then we're talking about, well, we got to spend a little bit more, right? So anything Republicans can do to stop this from happening they need to do. And they're playing it pretty smart. I got to hand it to them. You can tell me if you disagree with that. I know. I, I get it. There are arguments against it. Tell me what you think about McConnell at Radio Wiggins on Twitter. Wiggins America. That is wonderful news. I want to discuss this question next. Hopefully we can get Trisha to come in here. The question is, what makes a law a law? It's one of those that you ask even as a kid, like, oh, oh, it's something illegal. What makes it illegal? I've been having this discussion with my seven-year-old son because we've been walking into stores and he'll say, oh, this says you have to wear a mask, dad. And I'm like, son, let's talk about the law. (laughs) What makes something legal or illegal or wrong or right for that matter? It's tied to a news story from this week that Trump is uh, urging his former advisors to defy subpoenas from the January 6th committee. Now, is that illegal or not? I have some specific thoughts about that that I want to share next. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. 
baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Wiggins America, 97.1 FM Talk. I did pull in Trisha. Hi, Trisha Siegman. Hi, Ryan Wiggins. Uh, let me tease this up really quick. So this show, as you know, is a little bit weirder to put together than the weekday shows. And the fact that I'm here full-time weekdays and still doing this weekend show makes things even stranger because we're booking stuff throughout the week. So a last-minute interview request came through yesterday. So we went ahead and recorded it. It's a it's an interview with the founder of Judicial Watch, big Washington D.C. organization. Really cool. Tom Fitton is the head of that now. You might know him. They're they're on the channels all the time. So an interview request from him. He said yes. He's the original founder. He's now the chairman for Freedom Watch, different organization. I how do I explain this? I took the interview because. He's a super legit dude. His name is Larry Clayman. But I also know that he's <clears throat> he pushes like really radical ideas. And I'm fine with that. I, I'm, I'm always like, give me your radicalist idea, whether left or right. I don't care. It's always on let's the merits. Yeah, always on the merits. And so I said, let's, let's talk about it. And I knew he would go there because we were talking about vaccine mandates. I knew he would go there because he's talking about basically like this idea that According to our own Declaration of Independence and Constitution, legally, we have the right to basically deny our own government any power. That can take many different forms. <laughs> and his is very extreme. And basically, he says, look, we have the legal right as citizens to tell our government, no, anything that you're saying right now that's against the Constitution, no, we're not going to do it. Sure. And <clears throat> so... I push back on him in this interview, which you'll hear coming up next, which is why I'm talking about it. I'm just teasing it. I want you to stick around for this because we're talking about big stuff. I push back on him a little bit because, not because his ideas don't have legal merit, but because I'm talking about how practically would you even do this and where does this end up? So stick around. That's coming up next. And I want you to, to hear it because it's one of those that you're like, whoa, these are big, big concepts. But I wanted Trisha to come in for this segment because... Another big concept, and it kind of actually feeds into that. I wasn't intending to do that. But I teased this a minute ago that what is, here's the big question, what is legal? And not necessarily what is moral, what is right. Like what is the law? What makes something legal or illegal? Because the story that I, I kind of brought up to talk about is the January 6th commission committee, whatever they are, that's been happening forever and will sure. never die. That we spend tax dollars on, right? Yes, I, I believe that that's correct. Anything nice. that Congress does, I think we can pretty much say we're paying for. Yeah, nice. Um, they have, well, as of earlier this week, they had issued subpoenas to a bunch of Trump's aides and said, we want you to come in and basically testify against Trump. I mean, there's, you know what they're trying to do. And Trump said, don't do it. It's a trap. They said, we agree, this is a trap, we're going to defy the subpoena. That's illegal. You can't just defy a subpoena. However, as of yesterday, 
these guys in the commission, the January 6th commission, said, well, we're not going to enforce the subpoena. So did they break the law? Did they not break the law? We're seeing a lot of this subpoena stuff. And I've had this conversation with my son, who's seven years old, because he's a rules guy. I am too, actually, by nature. But then once I learn what they are, I learn, well, how do I break them? <laughs> <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah, All right. um, not doing that. So, um, so anytime we walk into a store, me and my son, he says, oh, dad, that says that you have to have a face covering to come in this store. And I say, well, son, <laughs> let's talk about what's legal and what's not. And we're in very, very murky waters with that kind of stuff. Absolutely. And so I just wanted to sort of bring up the broad question and see how you would re- answer that question, because I have my own response to that question. What is legal? And does does context matter? Uh, yes, I think it does. I, I don't know. We, you, like you said, we're in really murky waters right now. Obviously, most of our laws stem from situations or some sort of moral compass, but there is a a process to make them laws. And that should be like the basis of it, right? Like there is there are things that are legal and there are things that are illegal. Then there are people trying to pass things off as part of the law that aren't actually laws at this point. And that's where it gets murky. This mass thing, nobody has agreed to. A bill that says we have to wear masks in stores, yeah. right? I mean, that's or the not vax a, mandate, or the vaccine I mean, mandates. These are yeah. these are just recommendations for the most part, but they're presented in a way that, and from people in high enough positions of authority, that make people feel that they have to follow along, or that they're breaking some sort of rules. There's not actually any legal element to them at all, is there? It depends on what it is, and it depends on where it's coming from. Because most of these things are issued through executive order, whether they be from the president or from governors, when we're talking about mask and vax mandates. So there's a lot of question as to, well, can you unilaterally do that? And most of the time, the answer is no. You'd need, that's, that's why we have a Congress, so that you can't just have a king doing these things. I mean, that's the point of the Constitution, the point of the balance of powers. So no, but... We've also muddied the waters so much with what people can do under emergency situations that they kind of have some authority to do this, but then the definition of emergency keeps getting wider and wider and wider, and people are asking, well, at what point is something not an emergency? Because are we living in a climate crisis emergency? Because they're going to start doing that now. Mm-hmm. And that was the plan. I mean, Project Veritas showed that CNN had already basically colluded with the government to start doing that the minute Joe Biden got into office. They weren't able to pull that off because the narrative never went there. They just stayed on COVID. But it's the same, same goal. <clears throat> so the, the way... And there's other... So I don't want to just stick to COVID because there's so many other applications of that question. Like, for instance, you know, if a law is on a book from 1820s that says you can only pull out of your driveway backwards with a horse and carriage. Is that still a law? Is that still a law? You know, I mean, unless we change it, technically, yes. Right. Right. And so having to wear a mask somewhere as a suggestion is not because we haven't actually made that a law. Agreed. Agreed. But when, how do you explain that? <laughs> how do you explain to a, a seven year old? Yeah. But, but I, I mean, I say that jokingly because that's the situation I'm in. But really, we're all the seven year old. We're all going, what do you do? 
and who do you trust and how do you know? And the way way I've kind of landed on explaining this to him and to myself in a sense is that it's really only a matter of what's enforced. Because if you can, you can make laws all day, but if they're not enforced, they don't matter. And then vice versa, if you didn't make a law, but you decide to use the Department of Justice to declare domestic terrorists, people who are speaking at school board meetings, well, that's not really constitutional, but they're enforcing it. And so it's really murky in a democracy or in a republic like we're in, because we're technically at the top of the pyramid and not at the bottom. And so, and I ask these questions too. I mean, we're getting pretty deep here, but I ask these questions of like biblical morality too. Like, you know, honor the king. Well, we don't have a king. We'll honor those in authority. Well, who is in authority in a republic? We, we are, but we're not. Like, I'm not the president, so I can't make those laws. So I got to honor the president somehow to, to honor God. But then was the Revolutionary War wrong? You know, I, I come to those questions because I talk about these things philosophically, even like with my pastors and stuff. Where do you draw the line? And I just don't know. No, I mean, you went down a pretty big rabbit hole there, so (laughs) you blew my mind. (laughs) But I mean, going back to your son being a rule follower, to some extent, we all are. If we see a sign, we're going to try to comply just to avoid that goes back to the whole conflict thing. Mm -hmm. You're trying to avoid any kind of conflict, regardless of if the the rule is most people don't check to see if the rule is right. If there's a sign that says pick up your dog waste at the park. Most people do that because they want to avoid confrontation. So is is a suggestion just as good as making a law at this point, which is kind of scary. I, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's a, it's a worthy topic of discussion because we're, it seems like nationally we're having the discussion without having the discussion. Sure. Because we just constantly are being told from different sources of so-called authority, this is what you have to do. And yet we have very, very old authority, you know, 250-year-old authority now that says sometimes the opposite of what current authority says. So is it a matter of just what's enforced? To some extent, I think yes. But does that make it right? And then how do you react, you know? Mm -hmm. And And how do you make any... In a lawless society, how do you make any change? So if if nobody's enforcing the things that are actually real and people are trying to... are enforcing things that are just suggestions and nobody's policing that. I mean, and yeah, to me, it all comes down to what laws are just and which ones are not. Well, that also can be subjective though. Very subjective, which is really the core of the the problem that we're having as a national discussion or or even as a nation in general is what's right and wrong. Mm -hmm. And we, we used to agree generally, not entirely, but we used to have sort of a general agreement that we had kind of a Judeo-Christian understanding of things. We'd put the Ten Commandments outside of our courts because we all agreed like, hey, we may not reach that, but that's the goal. You know, at least let's remind ourselves that that's the goal. But we're, we're past that now. And that's, to me, why we're having this constant friction because different sides are pulling and saying, this is right, no, this is right where we used to not have that friction. Yeah, absolutely. And you spoke to the ex- the extending the powers, the emergency powers, and giving somebody a little bit too much power in these situations. And those things are actually supposed to have limits on them, and they don't. I was just 
yesterday on uh, the Mark Cox Morning Show, Denise was doing a, her segment that's called In Other News. And she was talking about how Google is now uh, not allowing any advertisements that go against their climate change policies. Mm-hmm. So they're policing that and they're deciding what the rules are based on, you know, what they allow the flow of information to be. And, you know, climate change, if that's a climate emergency and we're acting, if companies are acting on that, is that something that a government can act on then too? And how much can they impact our lives and to what extent? And do we ever get that, get a say back in any of these things? Right. Good discussion. You ready for this? I hope so. The last. Where is everybody? It's not the end of the world. There's all the time I need and all the time I want. The last person on Earth. I miss the noise, you know? I thought I was going to be alone again. There's time now. The last person on Earth movie suggestions. Yes. Yay. You didn't even know we were doing this no, today. Oh, how exciting. <laughs> you are feigning excitement as you drink coffee and Thrilled. look at the ceiling. <laughs> You know, however, that I am like enthralled with Last Man on Earth stuff, right? I do. And so mm-hmm. I made it a segment last week. It was my first one. Yeah, I heard it was a hit. Oh, oh, huge. Actually, I'm joking, but it was. Like, a lot of people responded. I know. I was serious. People really oh, liked okay. it. Well, you, everything you say is sarcastic, so i got to make sure. Yeah. But says, because everything line. I say is sarcastic, so we never know <laughs> what's really what's happening. Real. Uh, so, Lynn, <clears throat> quite a few people actually wrote in on this. So, if you have suggestions, I'm basically challenging you. If you have a great last person on Earth movie, TV show, even scene in a TV show that has stood out to you, message me. I will... Probably tell you I've already seen it and I'll review it for you, which is exactly what Lynn did. Lynn reached out on Facebook. She said, 1959 film on the beach. Guess what, Lynn? Already got a review with that one. Seen it? Seen it. It's on the list. I'm telling you, this list is huge. It's like 60 pages long with 10 to 12 movies. You didn't have to bring them all in. Well, you know, I wanted to bring in at least the relevant ones because she said on the beach. So I said, okay, fine. We'll review that one. Here's the deal. There's different criteria for these, as you know. <laughs> I just got to do this fast. We're running out of time. Uh, last man on Earth, criteria A, if you're actually the last person on Earth, that fulfills the criteria. If you're the last capable member of the human race, so maybe you're not on Earth in a lot of movies. Uh, or C, you're in an empty city, basically, environment. A, a, an environment that should be heavily populated or at least populated, and there's nobody there. One of those three has to be in the movie, a scene in the movie or the TV show for it to be on the list. If you hit all three, you get five stars. If you barely hit one, you get one star. So if you start in an empty city and then you go to space and you're alone up in space, is that what you're trying to say? If you are in an environment, for instance, like last week I said I am legend because that hits all three. You're in an empty city, you're maybe the last person alive, and you're the last man on earth. It's, it's all three of them. It's a very tragic movie. I love that movie. It's so sad. So this week it was on the beach really quick here. It only got a one. A one. A one? A one star. On, it's, the, it's because on the Wiggins review? On the Wiggins Last Person on Earth review. Um, because it's, well, it's, it's really not a very enjoyable movie, first of all. <laughs> um, it's very, very slow and boring. And uh, everybody's died of radiation, basically, in this movie, or they think that, that they have. And so the, there's a submarine that has survived it. So these are the last people on earth, you think, possibly. They, they submerge or they come back up. They go into San Francisco, and it's an empty city. Like, everybody's dead. 
that's the most interesting scene in the movie, and that's the one everybody remembers. I think that's probably why Lynn suggested it. So it does make the list. So good for you, Lynn. Um, but it's not really high on the list. They did do a miniseries based on On the Beach in 2000 that I also reviewed. A little bit better. It actually gets a 2 out of 5 um, because the empty city scene was longer and better. But it was still... The first part was really boring. The second part was okay because it had more empty city stuff. So you keep saying the scene, like an empty city scene. Is the mo- like the majority of this movie still like this like crew that is alone on the planet? They're trying to find you, more people. You know that there are other people because they're they're communicating, but you don't know where they are. So it kind of drops it a little bit because you know they're not alone. But they, it's they're very they are very alone. But you know they're not completely alone. So it. It drops it on the list a little bit for me. But thank you. And if you have suggestions, we're going to try to hit this, I don't know, maybe every week. Find me on Facebook, Ryan Wiggins on Facebook, or at Radio Wiggins on Twitter. Thanks, Trisha. Wiggins America, thank you so much for tuning in this morning. We are almost done today. It's going to be a hot one. 85 is the high, and that is weird for October. It just doesn't feel like October is here. But I've got a guest here on the phone with me. Larry Clayman is author of It Takes a Revolution, Forget the Scandal Industry. He's also the founder of Judicial Watch. He's currently the chairman of Freedom Watch. Thanks for being here, Larry. You're welcome. So I got a, uh, a headline that intrigued me from you, and I thought, well, if you're asking this question, you must know the answer to this question, because and that's the best way to engage somebody, right? Ask a question. And you did. And it said, uh, are vaccine mandates the greatest threat to civil and personal liberties in 100 years? My initial reaction was, I know they're bad, but I, I want to know the answer to that. Are they the greatest threat we've had to personal liberty in 100 years? What say you? You have to put it in context of everything else that's happening. Uh, it's a prelude to taking total control over the American people, which the left essentially has done. Whether it's vaccine mandates, and now we have coming out of Los Angeles that you can't even walk in to get a takeout coffee at a coffee shop without proof that you've been vaccinated. You've got the governor of California saying the kids K through 12 have to be vaccinated and have proof of it to go to school. You've got Joe Biden, our brain-dead president, putting that into effect at military installations and all government facilities. Couple that with the use of the FBI and the Justice Department as their own Gestapo to quell all dissent. And now they're threatening uh, parents that go to school board meetings. Uh, Yeah, I can go on and on. Destruction of our law enforcement, uh, running across the border, no borders for this country. It's part of a, a total plan by the left to take control, destroy the country, destroy concept of capitalism. They want socialism and communism and subjugate us to basically uh, living in a world similar to what existed under the Soviet Union, ultimately. So, yes, it is the biggest threat. In context, it's a huge threat. It's a total control of the American people. The American people are reaching to the reaching the point, as I wrote in my book, it takes a revolution, forget the scandal industry, that they're not going to be able to take it anymore. And you saw the first manifestations of that on January 6th, when mostly peaceful protesters went to the Capitol. Now they're being arrested, thrown in prison, not being allowed bail, some in solitary confinement. Uh, I I believe that this country is about ready to explode, and I'm trying to head it off with peaceful and legal solutions to try, try to wage what now is 
a counter-revolution, not even a revolution, because the left has taken total control. Larry, let me ask you about that, the, the legal solutions to these things, because what I'm watching around the country um, we're in St. Louis, but I live in Illinois, and so we talk a lot about Illinois. We're right on the on the border, of course. And what we have in Illinois is a governor, like many others around the country, who are declaring things that you know they get up and they basically just say, "This is the way things are now." Biden has done that too by declaring a vaccine mandate. But as attorneys general across the country look into these things, they, they don't really have teeth. First of all, am I wrong? Do they actually have more legal authority than I'm seeing them pretend they have? And then if they don't, why are they pretending like they have more than they do? Well, there's a question. What do you mean by legal authority? You know, that's kind of begs the question. No, they don't have legal authority, but they're willing to exercise extra legal authority, illegal authority, dictatorial authority. That's what they're doing. And this is exactly what the king did. King George III, in the days, months, and years leading up to our first revolution, edicts coming out of London mm-hmm. from his court of St. James, rubber-stamped by his yes-men judges. And that's what happens today. You've got yes-men judges. As Jefferson said, I write about it in my book, It Takes a Revolution, unelected, unaccountable to the people. They would become despots and tyrants, causing us to shed the blood of patriots and tyrants yet again every 20 years. You saw the first manifestation of that on January 6th, when Trump's own judges wouldn't give him a real hearing on the election irregularities or fraud, whatever you want to call it. So it's a total breakdown of our government. We have no government. And the the Republicans, I'm sure, Brian, you get, what, five to ten emails a day asking for money from the Republicans? What have they done? (laughs) What have they done? Have they they, uh, even modified Obamacare. I mean, you can get a sex change operation for free if you want with Obamacare. Left would like to see everybody as transsexuals at this point, I guess. And then you've got, uh, you know, the breakdown of, of law and order. Uh, so we are in a revolutionary state, and the American people need to wake up because we need to push back. And I've suggested peaceful and, and legal means. I also think, candidly, that we need to form a new government. We've had a third continental Congress in Philadelphia last July 5th and 6th, and we're continuing that. I've got delegates from around the country, very distinguished people. We're about ready to declare independence, and we need to form our own government. This government doesn't represent us. Just yesterday, Mitch McConnell, you know, the Republican leader of the Senate, caved into the Republicans on the debt, uh, Democrats on the debt, debt ceiling. And then Schumer, you know, who is the, the, uh, majority leader in the Senate, then trashes McConnell, you know, and the guy caved in. I don't know why he's complaining. So we have no representation. Taxation without representation. And the people that are running this country today, with the people at the top, the three stooges, Biden, Harris, and and Pelosi, are worse than King George III. King George III was not a socialist. He was not a communist. He was not an atheist. He was not a radical of these various groups. Uh, He simply wanted to overtax us. Well, Biden wants to do that and a lot more. So ask yourself whether we're better off today than we were when we had to fight a revolution in 1776. The answer is no. Clearly no. We're speaking with Larry Klayman. He is the uh, author of It Takes a Revolution, Forget the Scandal Industry, and he's also the 
uh, founder of Judicial Watch and current chairman of Freedom Watch. You said something there that I, I said, you know, before we started this interview, I said, I think we've talked to you before. And I remember you mentioning some of these really revolutionary ideas, because I think that's where everybody's mind goes, whoa, wait a second. He's talking about declaring a new government, you know, but the pragmatist in me says, how possible is that? And and I'm sure people come to you and they go, look, if you're talking about forming a new government, Maybe there are legal precedents for that, but what's the reality of that actually happening? The reality is, is that we have to be unafraid. And, you know, we're not in any way violent or physical or anything like that. But let me give you an example of what happened. And, and the past is a prologue. That's why history is important. The colonies were extremely rich. Uh, most people didn't want to break away from Britain. It was a few people. You know, the founding fathers and the colonialists, through persuasion, uh, pamphleteers like Thomas Paine and others who coalesced the colonies. And they realized that if they didn't take a stand, if they didn't risk everything, their kids and grandkids were going to be living in a dictatorship. And that's why I say that subtitle of my book, It Takes a Revolution, Forget the Scandal Industry. I'm actually doing an update of it. It's going to be the subtitle is going to be Wake Up America is that we can just not sit on the couch and watch Sean Hannity at night and think that we're doing what needs to be done. We need to, to rise up, and this will gather steam. So what I'm suggesting is we say we don't want a new country. We want our own government, and we nominate people for president, for secretary of state, for secretary of homeland security, probably different names for the agencies, an attorney general who is in a hack like Merrick Garland right now, threatening parents at school board meetings and things like that. We have a right to do that. It says, and you're, you know, and I know you made reference to that at the beginning of our Declaration of Independence. It says, when in the course of human events, the sovereign, the people, the rulers, no longer represent the people under the laws of nature and nature's God, not the laws of the king or the laws of the state. Nature and nature's God have a right to alter or abolish that government and to form a new government by and for the people with equal rights for everyone in pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness. So suppose we just say we're forming a new government. Sorry, guys. Go do what you want in Washington. Continue to commit crimes against each other. Have fun. Okay? We don't recognize you anymore. Now, the military's about had it. You know, they've been the people that needlessly died in Afghanistan and Iraq and now abandoned uh, people who gave their life and, and their bodies for this country, I think they will stand with us in this regard. So not the brass, not not the hacks that you saw testify last week on Capitol Hill. They're, they're just corrupt politicians. But I'm talking about the rank-and-file military. And I'm not saying a coup d'etat. I'm just simply saying, here's our government. I believe they will defend us and support us in setting up a new government. And we have a right to do it. I, yeah, I love listening to the legal background, especially, you know, you're quoting the Declaration of Independence. That's why they wrote those things. It's exactly what you're talking about. How does that happen? You know, you talk about doing it peacefully. I don't know how what you're talking about would happen peacefully. Well, you're right, Brian. It, it may, I don't mean to cut you off, but it, it may not be. It'll be peaceful from our standpoint. OK. In other words, we don't declare war on the current government. Neither did our founding fathers declare war on King George the Third. If you go back and look at the deck, they didn't. They just said a long train of usurpations and abuses causes us to break away and become independent. It was the crown that declared war 
on them. Now, they exercise their right of self-defense. We have a right of self-defense under our Constitution. Second Amendment. We have a right to commission militias in the Second Amendment. Militia is not a dirty word. It's meant to protect the people from the tyranny of the government. And it was Jefferson who said, when the government fears the people, there's liberty. But when the people fear the liberty, uh, the government, there's tyranny. So, yeah, we're going to have to take risks, but we're not going to start it. But we do have a right of self-defense. Big ideas for radical times. Larry Clayman, thank you for joining us. He is the author of It Takes a Revolution, Forget the Scandal Industry. If you'd like to know more about what he's talking about, you can get that book. He is also the current chairman of Freedom Watch. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Get more at 971talk.com. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.